appreciate uh, all that has gone before and uh, song service again this morning has been wonderful, beautiful. Uh, fellowship this weekend has been outstanding and such a blessing to me. We certainly enjoyed the worship services, but you know, part of our worship is fellowship. That's part of our worship. We're told in Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 42 that after the day of Pentecost, when that great revival, as Brother um, Ronald has already mentioned, that's so important in our lives, that was a great revival. You know, you talk about revivals, that was a real revival. <laughs> Those who were pricked in the heart were, uh, were given the direction that they needed going forward. Now, they'd already been pricked in the heart. Now, there were some, we read about some over in about the eighth chapter, seventh or eighth chapter of Acts that were cut to the heart. I can preach, I can, in my own efforts, preaching, cut somebody to the heart. Speaking, I can cut you to the heart. But only the Holy Spirit can prick you in the heart. See, these had been pricked in the heart and and the first question they asked, the same question you see most every child of God asking when they've experienced that pricking in the heart. You know, Paul the Apostle said, uh, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? These, men, these people said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told him, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In other words, come on into the church. <laughs> come on in and unite with the church. And then we're told that in sustaining the revival, what they did in Acts 2, 42 is it said they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers four things that will sustain the revival four things that are essential to, to Zion today and that's what they did and that's what we did this weekend I'm so thankful to be able to go home and say we had revival this weekend you know many people plan something they call a revival We've experienced something that really was a revival, <laughs> and uh, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for your kind uh, words, your kind, your, your fervent prayers for me, uh, and I do beg a continued interest in your prayers. Sherry and I have thoroughly enjoyed our time with you, and, um, and it's just uh, a blessing to find that wherever we go in the kingdom of God, it's still the kingdom of God, and it's just like being at home, because the truth is we are at home. Even away from home, we're at home. So, uh, so I appreciate your kind attention, and I ask that you continue to pray for me this morning as the Lord uh, uh, has directed my mind to Isaiah, the 33rd chapter, and the 20th verse. In Isaiah chapter 33, we're in the midst of Isaiah's prophecies uh, regarding the nation of Israel that had been taken captive, uh, that, was about, that was going to be taken captive, rather, uh, as, uh, uh, it, it, based upon their... Uh, their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And, uh, and throughout his book, there are many times he calls them out for their unfaithfulness, but he always comes back to a point at some point in every time seems like that he's speaking where he reminds those that he's speaking to about the subject of who he's speaking about. He's speaking about God's people. And in the Old Testament, the place where God cho had chosen to, to, to expressly place his blessings. 
in the, in the form of a, uh, of a public worship that he recognized and that he was happy with, that he was satisfied with, was in the nation of Israel. He had given them his law, and he said, here's how I want you to do it. And so uh, uh, the city of Zion, the, 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 the primary focus during Isaiah's day of where the Lord's, where the public worship that pleased the Lord would occur was in a place called Jerusalem, the city uh, of Zion, Jerusalem, uh, the, the, the city, we're told, of the solemnities. And I want, to, uh, I want us to look at verse 20 here, and I want us to think about this. See, today, today, we are Zion. When, you know, I, I grew up among a people who were precious folks, but who had a misunderstanding about Old Testament scriptures and end times prophecies and that sort of thing. And there are many in the world today that would rob us in the church of these rich scriptures that are a, basically a prophecy, a foreshadowing, a type and shadow, if you will, of what's coming after Christ comes in the flesh. You know, when Jesus was here, the message he preached was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, many would tell you the kingdom of heaven was not at hand. It was really some 2,000 years or more later. But beloved, I want to, I'm not planning to preach on uh, uh, prophecy today, but I just want to say that we are in the kingdom today. This is that kingdom that was at hand in Christ's day. It came in Christ's day, and all it was, it was a reformation. It was a reformation. It was a reforming of the public worship into now the public worship is in the church, you see. So when we read this, he says, look upon Zion. I want you to be thinking about the church, the church, because this is a reference to the public worship of that day and a foreshadowing of the public worship of, of our day. In Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 20, look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Thy tacklings are loosed, they could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey. And the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. For those of you that have been here the last couple of days, you know that we've been focused upon the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is written after the captivity and after uh, the Lord, through his mercy, has impressed the Persian king to let the nation of Israel go back home. But there were some problems then. The walls of that great city of Jerusalem were broken down. And our theme over the past couple of days has been about rebuilding broken walls. And how that Nehemiah went back over there to rebuild. Well, here we see... Uh, before uh, even the captivity, uh, uh, Isaiah is prophesying about that same city. But I want to point out something to you. Notice it says in verse 20, it says, uh, it's a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. 
Now, one of the reasons I believe, Brother Ronald, that this applies in a spiritual sense to the, to the kingdom of God that we have today is because in A.D. 70, the walls of Jerusalem were razed to the ground. They were torn down. The temple was destroyed. All the, That physical, literal place was destroyed. But Isaiah said there is a, there is a city that will never be destroyed. There's a city, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down and not one of the stakes will be removed and none of the cords will be broken. So I believe it's talking to us about some things that are relevant today. So let's look at Zion, look upon Zion, look upon the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God today is this very church and the church is like it scattered throughout the land. Now, certainly, let me just say this, the kingdom of God in one sense is every elect child of God everywhere that's ever lived. And one day that whole universal kingdom of God will be brought home to glory and will be together for the first time ever to worship together uh, in, in an eternal way. We will be there for eternity, but that's not where we are yet. Right now, we're still divided. We're still, you know, our church, the church I pastor is meeting back home and, and, and uh, we're meeting here and others are meeting in other places. But, but, but one day it'll be together. But what, I wanna, what, what we're talking about here is the visible aspect of that kingdom, which is the church. Look upon Zion. Let's look at Zion. Let's look at Zion. Let's look at the solemnities of Zion. Notice that it says, look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. That word solemnity refers to sacredness. It refers to an appointed place or an appointed time for meeting together. That's the idea here is that church is a solemn place. Now, it doesn't mean there's no laughter. It doesn't mean there's no joy. It doesn't mean, you know, I've seen, I've seen people that, you know, we've heard of the frozen chosen. You heard that, the frozen, the, the dour and all. There are people I know of that are, uh, you'd look like that uh, they got the worst case of, of regeneration and can't get rid of it the way they walk around. They just, you know, it's, that's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be excited. And I am excited this morning about being in church. I'm excited about the kingdom of God, but nonetheless, it is a solemn place. And church worship ought to be just that. It ought to be a place of worship and not a place for frivolity or entertainment or carnality or worldliness. The Lord provided a church, us this church, as a place to get away from the world. It does, he doesn't intend for us to drag the world in here with us. And I'm not saying this to be critical of the denominational world, it's not my place to criticize them, it's my place to build up Zion, but in building up Zion, it is my place to point out some problems out there. And I wanna to say to you, the religious world in so many ways has forgotten the solemnities of Zion. You know, I understand the desire to entertain. Listen, we had a wonderful time of fellowship yesterday afternoon back there in the fellowship hall. We sat around and we sang and we, we, we played and we, we just fellowshiped together and we had a good old time. But you know what it wasn't? It wasn't a worship service. It, we, didn't, we didn't bring that entertainment. You know, I understand that uh, there's, so many, there's so many people out there that say, we've got to have something for the young folks. We gotta have something to, to, to bring people. We gotta have a, a, a band. We gotta have a, a, a choir. We gotta have some kind of a, a, a play or we gotta have some kind of dance troupe. I've even been to a church or I've seen a church that has a dance troupe, Brother Ronald, you know? Uh, I mean, all these things are enticing to the flesh and, and certainly if, 
if, if uh, uh, this church were to uh, have some kind of huge choir and some kind of concert and maybe get in the latest contemporary Christian artists to come in here, you'd have a bigger crowd. You would. But it's like a preacher friend of mine said one time. He said, when I go to church, I want to know that I've been to church and not to a ball game. I want to know that I've been to church and not to a concert. I want to know that I have been to a place of worship. The Lord gave us the church, the city, the, 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 the city of, our, of Zion is a city that is a solemn place. Solemn in the sense of sacred. Solemn in the sense of there's something different about, you know, there ought to be something different about this, this hour of worship, this hour and a half of worship than, than, than going to some Rotary Club meeting. There ought to be something different about coming here and singing praises to the Lord than going to some concert. I love Southern gospel music. I do. I grew up singing Southern gospel music. But, but there ought to be a difference in the worship service and a Southern gospel music concert. There ought to be something different. Church is a solemn place. But notice as we read here, church is a safe place. A safe, notice it says, Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem a quiet habitation. The word quiet there literally means to be at ease, to be secure. And it's not talking about those that, that, that Isaiah himself said, or I believe it's Hosea says later, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Those are lazy people. But these are people that are struggling in this world like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and are sojourning as strangers in a strange land. And it doesn't feel very safe out there to them. But they come into Zion, they come into the church, and there's a place of safety. It's a quiet habitation. You know, it, it ought to be said, and there's a reason we do things the way we do them. We're trying to pattern after the first century, but there's a reason the Lord gave us that pattern. I don't have to worry if my children are being taught some error, Brother Ronald, in some Sunday school class. I don't have to worry if my children are being led down the wrong path by some youth pastor. By the way, let me just say to you young men, uh, we, I'm so thankful that the Lord is still raising up young men to preach. We have several in our community back home. Uh, uh, my son-in-law who's handling the services for us this morning. He's a young man in his 20s. And he's, he's definitely, no doubt in my mind, he's been called to preach. And there's a young man at my brother's church who is, uh, I don't think he's even 20 yet. And he's definitely, in my opinion, he's been called to preach. But let me just say, he's been called to be a preacher, not a youth pastor. <laughs> We don't need youth pastors. We need young pastors, that's great. But we don't need youth pastors. We need pastors. We need under shepherds. We need those who are going to preach the word and are going to be instant in season and out of season and are going to stick to the same old story. You know, everybody's looking for something new. I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But let me just follow the spirit. I think we'll just follow the spirit this morning, Brother Ronald. How about that? The, uh, everybody's looking for something new. And that, that's a problem we run into sometimes in our churches, is it not? When we start having issues with attendance, issues with growth, issues with maybe problems in the church. And, and the first thing our minds go to is what are we doing wrong? And certainly that's where we ought to go. We ought to reconsider and examine ourselves. But then sometimes we get to this place, well, the old ways aren't working. <laughs> we got to find something new. We got to find something new. That's a temptation. I understand that. And, and listen, if, it depends on what old ways you're talking about. Okay? Jeremiah said, stand in the paths and seek you after the old ways, the old paths, wherein it's the right way. Now, that doesn't mean what daddy did or what granddaddy did. 
That may not be what great-granddaddy did. If we went back to the old paths at Zion Church, what my great-granddaddy did, we'd be absoluters. <laughs> that was their tradition back then. They let it come in at that time. The question about the old ways is what, is the, what does the book say about it? What is, the, what, is it that, what is it that we're to do according to the old pattern that the Lord put in place? And something new is not what we need. People are always coming up with that. And, and I'll tell you, based on even... Based on what I read, I know we don't need it, but based on my experience, we don't. You know what happened at Zion Church to cause us to grow from one member to around 50 members today in the last 10 years? It was preaching, praying, and singing, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't some new plan. My brother didn't come to me and say, hey, let's send out a, let's send out a uh, survey. I've heard of that happening, that people decide they want to plan a church. And I, you can call it that if you want to. I say start a church or or a constituted church, whatever you want to use. But, but that church planning, they send, out a, they send out a survey throughout the community. They say, what do you want in a church? I heard about one, Brother Ronald, that had multiple choice. <laughs> you know, you want this, this, and this. And, you know, the question is not what do you want in a church, it's what does God want in a church? Because God's pattern works every time. Everybody wants something new. They're wanting some new plan. But let me tell you, we came up with a new plan at Zion, and guess what? It was the same old pattern. <laughs> from way back, from the first century, from the time of Christ. And that's the plan we need. You see, church is supposed to be a place of safety. It's supposed to be a place where we can come in and put aside the things of the world. I think I may have shared this with y'all last time I was here, but if I, I didn't, I'm going to now, and if I did, I'm going to repeat myself. But um, one of my favorite shows when I was growing up as a kid was Daniel Boone. You know, Daniel Boone was a man, big, you know, all that. He was Daniel Boone show every, every day it was on. And the theme of so many of those episodes was that the Indians had, you know, gotten stirred up and went on the warpath. And, and the, the call would go out at the beginning of the show to all the farmers and ranchers out there in the woods, you know, that were out away from the fort, come into the fort for safety. They, they'd be, you know, that's the call would go out. The Indians are rising, come into the fort. And there was always one renegade. There was always one rebellious soul. So I'm not going anywhere. I got to get my crops in. I'm going to stay out here. I'll be okay. And the whole theme of the episode was Daniel Boone having to go out and save this, this poor obstinate soul that wouldn't come in and bring him into the church of safety. Now, what, what are you talking about, preacher? The church is like that fort. The church is like that fort. The church is a place of safety. It's a place where we can gather together and we can be a part of a greater group of God's children and, and stand together against the troubles of the world, against those that are on the war path, against the kingdom of God in the world. And I've got some news for you. You know, Daniel Boone could go out and he could, he could slip through the woods and he could find those folks and rescue them and bring them back. And he always did that. But I'm sorry, you're no Daniel Boone, okay? I'm no Daniel Boone. I can't, I can't make it out there in the world. I need to be in the safety of the fort. Don't try to be some kind of rebel. Don't try to be some person out there. Oh, I can make it on my own. Beloved, you'll get to heaven on your own. You may get there quicker, but you, you'll get to heaven on your own, but you'll have a hell to experience here on this earth if you're not careful. You'll experience the, 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 the troubles and the trials of life in a way you won't experience it. Look, the church isn't going to solve those problems for you. But the church is going to give you a place of rest. 
a safe place. And by the way, it's a place where we dwell. You know that it says, it says, thine eyes shall be, see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation. It's a habitation. Over, over in Psalm, the 48th chapter, we mentioned it last night. And down in about verse uh, 12, he says for us to, uh, uh, he says for us to walk about Zion and go around about her, tell the towers thereof, mark her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generations following, for this God is our God forever, and he will be our guide unto death. In other words, in in, in the habitation here, in this solemn habitation, it's a safe place where we we should be dwelling. We We should be living there. In other words, we don't just come by to visit every once in a while. This isn't a vacation. It's not a vacation spot. The church ought not be a vacation spot for God's children. It's a habitation. It's a place where we live. It's a place where we dwell. You know, we're away from home right now. And we're enjoying the visit up here. For us, it's a visit. And, it's a, and we feel at home here. But you know where my mind and heart are right now? It's back home. Even though I'm away from home, I'm getting ready to go home. I'm not going home for a visit. I'm going home because that's where I dwell. And that's the way our thoughts toward Zion ought to be. It's a place, not where we visit every once in a while, but where we dwell. Our mind and our heart should be dwelling upon Jerusalem. I look forward to the next time I can be with God's people. You see, it's a dwelling. It's a safe place. It's also a secure place. Notice what it says. It says a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Now, it's in the nature of a tabernacle to be taken down and moved around. But this is a different kind of tabernacle, Isaiah says. This is a tabernacle that shall never be taken down. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Do you know that God has preserved his church in every age? You know, we're living in a tough time. We're living in a time when it seems like persecution is getting worse and troubles and trials are rising. Paul tells us about those days. He says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, I'm not some prophet of doom here saying the Lord, you know, by the way, it's not doom. I hope the Lord does come back today. <laughs> but sometimes we hear, you know, we hear people talking about the apocalypse. The apocalypse just literally means revelation. I'm looking forward to the apocalypse. I really am. <laughs> I'm looking forward to what men think of as the apocalypse. I'm not saying, though, that the Lord is about to come back. I don't know, but I do know that times are getting worse. We're living in a worse time in my life than we've ever experienced. And perilous times are here. But God has said that his church, the, the gates of hell, will not prevail against his church. And what he means by that is, is when he comes back, there's going to be his church, his people, somewhere gathered. Sometimes they met in dens and caves. Sometimes they weren't even called Baptists. Sometimes they were persecuted and burned at the stake. We haven't gotten to that point yet, but it may come. But God has had a people. God has had his church from the time of Christ to this point. In fact, he says it, the gates of hell, that is, they, the devil may prevail temporarily, but they will not prevail against it in a permanent sense. Now, having said that, let's be careful to understand that there's no guarantee it'll be this church. There's no guarantee it'll be Bethel Church or Zion Church. There's a lot that God expects us to do as individuals, as part of the local church to maintain. You know, my desire... Zion Church nearly died. 
It got down to one member. And it got down there not because God willed it to be so, but because they got off track on what they were preaching and the way they were dealing, uh, the way they were uh, worshiping. Well, guess what? We could get off track again. And Zion Church might cease to exist one day. Bethel Church might cease to exist one day. It's up to us in a great extent to be faithful uh, and, uh, to God's commandments that this church prevails. But, but what I'm saying to you is this, is that whether Bethel Church or Zion Church prevails, the church itself is a secure place. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, Paul makes a statement, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end, amen. If the Lord is glorified in the church throughout all ages, you can be sure that the church will stand throughout all ages, okay? Let's just do all that we can to make sure it's this church, that it's our church. Now, notice here what it says about this secure city. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. The stakes and the cords stabilized the tabernacle. They were necessary for the tabernacle to remain standing. Now, throughout history, many have been dissatisfied, as we've already said, with the way the Lord set up the church. Many have thought they had a better idea about how to stabilize the church, how to maintain the church, how to make sure it was continuing. Some of them have instituted all these other uh, outside uh, things such as a, uh, uh, Sunday schools and youth groups and, uh, and, and, and basketball teams and all these other things that, that, that they think that need to be put in place in order to stabilize the church. But God said the way he set it up, he, you know, it's his church. <laughs> It's his church. When I, when I would, was a, uh, a young man, when I was a child, I would build stuff out of Tinker Toys or Lego or something like this. And sometimes uh, uh, when I would build it, it wouldn't look just like it did in the pattern. Somebody would come to me and Tim or somebody and say, oh, that's not right. I said, well, it's the way I want it. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> I did this. I want it. God's that way. God, and the difference between God and me is that God gets it right. <laughs> he doesn't have it messed up. We're the ones that think it's wrong. Many have been dissatisfied, but I want to tell you, beloved, even though man would like to remove the stakes and cords, God said his city will stand. Look at the solemnities of Zion. But also notice that we go on here and we, we need to take a look at the Savior of Zion. Look at verse 21 and 22. We've already read it, but look at it again. There the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. Notice that. The Lord is the furnisher of the church. The Lord is the one that gives us what we need in the church. He, and it's not, you know, sometimes we, we tend to look at ourselves and compare ourselves to other denominations as primitive Baptists. And boy, it's just a small number. And you know, that poor little old church. I've been, to, I've been to some churches that were very small. I've been part of churches that were very small uh, that, that believed the truth that weren't primitive Baptists, but I've also been to primitive Baptist churches that were very, very small. But notice that in this description of Zion, the Lord is going to be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. It's an expansive place. It's a place of refreshment and revitalization. You know, I've, I've often... I've loved the, uh, uh, the 78th Psalm. Uh, over in the 78th Psalm, God begins to give us a, 
uh, a history of the nation of Israel and the struggles and the, 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 the murmurings and all the problems they had. And, and he goes down through there and he gives us a good description. And he talks about the time when they were in the wilderness and how they, they spake against God. They asked this question, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And they're actually challenging God. But I like that verse because it reminds us that God can furnish a table in the wilderness because it goes on to say in verse 20, behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. <laughs> uh, now, <clears throat> I want you to think about this for a minute. They're in the wilderness in verse, if you back up to uh, verse 14, it says in the daytime, he, he led them with a the cloud and all the night with a light of fire. And in verse 15, it says he claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Now they weren't faithful to him. They didn't see this as such a great blessing. But let me tell you, notice what happened here. They were in a wilderness, which means a desert, actually. That's the desert down there. And they came up on a rock. Now, if you're in the wilderness, I, I watched a lot of cowboy and Indian movies when I was, and read a lot of Louis L'Amour books. You didn't generally go to a rock to get water, did you? <laughs> I mean, in the very nature of being a rock that there's no water in it, <laughs> Isn't that just kind of the nature of rockness? It's, it's dry, it's arid. You know, if it, if it was wet, if it was mushy, it would be mud, not a rock. <laughs> But notice what God did. It says God claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as, of the, as out of the great depths. On my, grandma, on my farm that we live on, near my grandmother's house, there's a well. We, we only have well water at our farm. We have four or five wells. Back then we only had about two or three. That well was about 90 feet deep. And we'd be working in the summer. And we'd go out there, take a break. Daddy'd let us go get some water. Me and Tim would run down to that well. We had a hose pipe hooked up to where, you know, it, right where the water came out of the, out of the depths, out of the, uh, the hole there where it, that had been drilled. And we'd let, we'd let that thing run wide open for just a few minutes. And just didn't take long. The water from the great depths, that 90 feet deep, would start coming out. And that was the purest, clearest, most refreshing water I've ever tasted in my life. Uh, that well has filled up with sand since, and I've always been sad about that because I got so much refreshment out of the depths down there, out of the depths of the ground where that water was, cold and pure and refreshing. That's what I think of when I read this. But yet this water didn't come from the depths. This water didn't come from a 90-foot well. This water was given by God out of a rock. And he said, though, that it was drink as out of the great depths. I look around here and I see a great crowd of people here at this church. Compared to many churches, this is a huge crowd, many primitive Baptist churches. But compared to the mega churches of this world, it's a very tiny crowd. It's very uh, little compared uh, congregation compared to those in the mega churches of this world. But I want to say to you that the refreshment I'm getting this morning, even as preaching this, is something uh, uh, greater. It, it feels as if it was coming out of the depths. It feels as if there were 3,000 people here, Brother Ronald. Because uh, you know what is here besides us is the Holy Spirit. I'm getting water out of the great depths this morning. I hope you're enjoying it as well. But regardless of whether my preaching is, is worth anything or not, when you come to the worship service here in a tiny place compared to the religious world, we ought to be understanding that we're getting water out of the great depths. It's a place of broad rivers and streams, not a little trickle. 
It's like a, it's a broad river. It's a stream. It's like I think of the Mississippi River. You ever stood in New Orleans and looked across it? That's what we've got here in a spiritual sense. The Lord is the furnisher of the church. Notice as we look on here, it says, There the glorious Lord will be unto a place, us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall, no, shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. The Lord is the leader of the church. The Lord is the leader of the church. Notice it's no galley with oars. In other words, the church of God is not self-propelled. Certainly we need to be working and laboring in the kingdom, but just understand that your labors are not what keeps this church afloat. Now, we, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I am so glad to see you here. And I know Brother Ronald every Sunday wants to see you right here. You're important to this church. You're important to your pastor. It's important that you be here. But if you ever get to the point where you think it's essential and that without you the church will fold, then you need to reevaluate your position. Because, see, no gallant ship goes through this place. You know, they, you've seen these ships... Uh, I've been to the San Diego Harbor, and I've seen these great nuclear-powered ships. They're gallant. They're amazing. They're something else. They dwarf the little skiffs and the little sailboats that are out there. But in the church of God, there's no such gallant ship. You're not all that, as my children would say. You're important, yes. It's important for you to be here. But it's really more important for you to be here than it is for God, for you to be here. God wants you here, but he doesn't need you. <laughs> God, God wants you to be working in his kingdom. God, need, God desires that you be here and be profitable and fruitful. But when we get to the point where we say, well, I'm a gallant ship. They can't make it without me. No, beloved. <laughs> no, don't go there. The Pharisee thought that. He went down to the front of the church and he began to pray within himself. I think he's praying out loud, Brother, Brother Ronald, where people could hear him. I'm so glad I'm not like these other folks. I'm so glad that I, don't, that I give them my money. You know, the church would fold if, I didn't, if they didn't get my money. <laughs> well, I got some news for you. It ain't your money. <laughs> you know, we say we're going to give God his tenth. No, God's got 100%, okay? God's got whatever percentage you decide you're going to give. Uh, you know, if it's 10% or if it's more than that, whatever it is, you say, well, I'm going to give God his tenth. 10% is 15% is 5% whatever. God's got the 100% you know he owns the cattle on a thousand hills we own the cattle on 10 or 15 hills you know we think that's a big herd God's got every herd there's ever been he said if I was hungry I wouldn't ask you <laughs> but you know what we're the ones that get hungry we're the ones that need him to feed us there's no gallant ship in the church, we're all just little skiffs, but we're being led, praise God, by the great captain of our souls. And I want you to notice something else. He said, no gallant ship shall pass thereby. In verse 22, he says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Now, I know Brother Ronald leads you well, because I know Brother Ronald. I know your deacons lead you well. I know that uh, you, in whatever position you serve, you try to do your part to be a leader in this church. But just don't ever forget the rules aren't Brother Ronald's. The rules are God's. He's the lawgiver. He's the king. He's the judge. You see, he's the one who commands and rules us, and it is his church. 
And when we go messing with it, you know, you don't like, you men that are married out there, you don't like anybody uh, trying to criticize or, or run down or mess with your wife, do you? Well, when we're criticizing and running down and trying to change things in the church, we're messing with the bride of Christ. <laughs> Think about that. Somebody said that one time, said, be careful when you talk about the church, you're talking about somebody's wife. <laughs> and he's the somebody that can do something about it better than anybody else. See, the Lord is the, Lord is the leader of the church. And notice in that last part of verse 22, the Lord is the savior of the church. See, that's, why is it that God gets to lead? Now, God, God has the right to lead in, in the church, to be the head of the church, just because he's God. I mean... He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's smarter than you. He's stronger than you. He's more able than you. And he gets the right to lead us just because of that. But that's not the only reason. Do you know what, re you know, what really seals the deal, if you will, Brother Ronald? I mean, they thought Zeus was all-powerful. You know, they thought... Jupiter was all-powerful. There, there, there are many uh, religions that have an all-powerful God, but there's no other religion that has a God that died for his bride. See, it's not just that he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. It's that he died to purchase his bride. Notice what it says in Acts 20, 28. Take heed, he's talking to preachers here now, he's, and we need to remember this. <laughs> Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's, that's powerful. That's something we don't always think about. That's something we sometimes forget, is it not? You see... Jesus didn't just, he didn't just stay up in heaven. He didn't, you know, he didn't just love us from afar. He came down and he became one of us. He, he put on flesh. Now he didn't become a sinner like us, but he didn't, and he didn't just inhabit a body like us. He became one of us and he lived a perfect life and he died a death he didn't deserve. And he did it because he loves us and loved us from eternity past. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he died to purchase us. You know, I think that gives him some rights to say what we do on Sunday morning, don't you? I think that gives him the right. I mean, it's enough that he's all powerful, but listen, he's all loving to his people. <laughs> he loved us so much. Now, finally, as we bring this to a close this morning, let's look at the rest of this, these verses. Let's look at the salvation that we have in Zion. Now, we've talked about eternal salvation, okay? We've talked about the fact that Christ Jesus died to save his people from their sins. And when he said it is finished on the cross, it was finished. He, wasn't, he didn't say it's almost finished. <laughs> he didn't say it's finished, but you've got to do something. No, he said it's finished. He saved his people from their sins eternally. But now, there is a, did you know there is a salvation in the church? There are those that believe the church is the route to eternal salvation. We don't believe that. We don't believe that the church has anything at all to affect the eternal destination of God's children. But there nonetheless is a salvation in the church. Notice 
what it says, thy ta- verse 23, thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Now, in order to rightly divide this, you always have to remember context is everything. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to God's children here. You remember, if you go back to the first verse of chapter 33, he's talking to those who are the enemies of God's children. He says, Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. He's talking about those who afflict. He's talking to those who afflict God's children. And he's, going, he's telling them about Zion. He's telling them for our benefit, but he's telling them about Zion and about the permanency and the security and all the safety and those kinds of things. But now he's turned back to those people and he's speaking to the enemies of God. He's saying, your tacklings are loosed. In other words, those things that, that, that hold your ship together. He's, it's as if they're on a ship of war that are against the, 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 the city of Zion, against the people of God. It says, thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. In other words, against the church, the enemies of God cannot prevail. The church will save you from your enemies. And believe me, child of God, there are many. Just, just, just three that I can think of, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all against us. You know, the devil's against us. We know that. The world's against us. We know that. But sometimes we forget that the flesh is against us. Sometimes we think if the devil weren't in the world, there'd be no sin. No, beloved, you're a sinner. <laughs> there'd be sin whether the devil was here or not. Do you know the devil didn't always make you do it? <laughs> Some, and not the devil out there, it's the devil in here sometimes <laughs> that, that make you do it. See, it's my flesh that's against me. It's my flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil, it helps me to come to church. I'm encouraged after church. I'm revived, as Brother Ronald said this morning. I'm rejuvenated in a spiritual sense, and I am able to go back out and to serve the Lord. The tacklings of my enemy are loosed. There's no strength. The enemies of God have no strength in the church. And notice also, as we bring this to a close, the church will give us hope. You know, there's a salvation in hope. You know what happens to people who end up committing suicide? They get to the point where they have no hope. They have no hope. They have no uh, vision of anything ever getting better. You know, it's a sad place for a child of God to be, but I know children of God that have gotten there that I believe are children of God. We, you, know, you know what will help us more than anything else? It's, it's save us from that lack of hope. It's coming to the place where hope is preached. Coming to the place where hope dwells right here. Notice it says, then is the... I love this. <laughs> I love this. This is so great. Then, in verse 23, then is the prey of a great spoil divided. You know, when the Lord led... When the Lord ascended on high, we're told he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto me. And those, those gifts are the spoils of war. He tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors. You know what a more than conqueror is? It's somebody that didn't have to fight the battle, but he reaps all the rewards of the victory nonetheless. <laughs> That's what a more than conqueror is. A conqueror goes out and fights. That's our Lord. We're more than conquerors because we didn't have to fight. And the great spoil is divided amongst us. And it's a never-ending uh, treasure trove. You know, he's, there's a reason he called the church a treasure in the field. 
When the man was going through the field, I feel like that man, Brother Ronald. I feel like him. I was going through a field unbeknownst to me. The great treasure, the greatest treasure of all in this world was in that field. The church of the living God, the kingdom of God. And that man sold all that he had and he bought that field. Not some other field. He didn't go, he didn't, he was like Ruth. He stayed in the field of Boaz. He bought that field. Now look, you notice, let me just say this. Let me caution you. Don't get discouraged that the church is made up of sinners like you. Okay? Don't, don't get discouraged. I, I don't know your situation here or your history, but I'm sure you've had problems in the church in the past. I'm sure there have been issues. There have been issues in our church where we didn't agree and there's some, some problem arose. And you know, some people do, you know what some people do when that happens? They say, oh, well, I knew it. I'm gone. <laughs> I knew these were just old sinners. Well, you are too. <laughs> Okay, somebody says, I, I'm not going to go, I'm not go down there and join all those hypocrites. Well, look, you just be one more hypocrite if you do. <laughs> We're all hypocrites. We all have problems. But notice that the man bought the field. I'm sure the field had potholes and stump holes and rocks and all that, but the treasure was in that field. You know, I'm, I feel like a lot of times I'm a pothole <laughs> in the church. I'm a stump. I'm a stumbling block sometimes, and I strive not to be. But the field, is, the field is worth it because the treasure is the greatest treasure of all. The great spoil is divided. And now look at this. This is what I love. The lame take the prey. Now, isn't that glorious? I love to watch those National Geographic shows about the wildlife in Africa, the lions particularly. You know what the lions do? They're the predator. And the lions go out there and they try to find the most weak, the lame of the herd. And take them down. If you're, listen, I've learned this. If you're a lame wildebeest, you're doomed. <laughs> okay, you're doomed, right? The prey, the predator is going to take you. You're going to be the prey. But notice what happens in the church. It's not dog eat dog in the church. The lame take the prey. The lame are blessed in the church. You feel yourself to be lame. Oh, I do so many times. I, I got here this morning, Brother Ronald. I felt like I was just stumbling in, a, in my spiritual man. I felt lame spiritually, but praise God. I feel like I've taken a prey this morning. I felt like that after the song service. I felt like the most, the, the most uh, a glorious line that's ever lived. I came here and I absorbed the, 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 the sustenance and the spiritual food that was here. I was lame this morning, but I took a prey, praise God. See, that's, that's what happens in the church. The church saves us by giving us hope. And, and what do we have hope about? Well, we have hope. It's not a little hope, by the way. I, I've heard some old preachers years ago, they say, oh, I've got this little hope. No, I've got, a, I've got a hope that is steadfast and sure that is a anchor of my soul. See, hope doesn't mean a wish. You know, I hope the Braves win tonight. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If, you know, we were watching NC State last night play, and Brother, uh, Brother Ronald had a hope that they would win, but I could tell by his demeanor he had no confidence that they would. <laughs> they did, but uh, he said, they always get me lifted up, real high, excited, but he's staying away from hope, you know. It's a little hope, little wish, but that's not what we have in the church. 
What the church teaches us about is the hope that is both steadfast and sure and is an anchor of the soul. And listen, it pierceth within the veil. Now what that veil is, I don't know all the details of it, but I know one thing that it is, is the veil of death. We buried my daddy a year, nearly two years ago. As we stood around his bedside and sang Amazing Grace to the old ten, as he passed from this life, we wept. Oh, we shed tears. We were, we were so sad to see him go. But you know what we didn't do? We didn't despair. And as a matter of fact, the moment he took his last breath, my brother Tim was on one side of the bed. I was on the other. We were both holding his hand. And we looked at each other and we said, hallelujah. You know why we said hallelujah? Not because we, we miss him. But we said hallelujah because now the hope that he had is sight. The faith that he had is no longer. He sees with his spiritual eyes in his spiritual body there in the presence of the Lord. And I will see him again. You know, that's the most simple iteration of the gospel. If you can't find hope anywhere else, if you don't know all the depths of the theological uh, uh, points of salvation, then this most basic statement ought to encourage us. We will see our loved ones again. But more than that, we're going to see the one who made all of that not just possible, but sure. The church, look upon Zion. Walk around, look at it. See, not the building, but the place where God has chosen to put his favor. The public worship as he has set it forth. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities, the place where even the lame can take a prey. Brother Ronald.